begins. We started a new series last week when many of you were on vacation. And so rather than preaching out of Philippians, I preached out of Philemon because it has a very similar theme for what we'll look into later on in the book of Philippians. Uh, so uh, the, the hard start, the, the real start of our sermon series is today. Uh, so join me in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, we'll read just the first two verses. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth from your word that... Anytime your word is spread out, cast out, spoken, anytime that it is used in a way that is true to your intent, that that word produces fruit. That word does not come back void, but it accomplishes your work. So, Father, as we look at the book of Philippians, getting an, an overview of it this morning, we pray, Lord, that, that today's message from your word, that, that your message to us would be evident and clear, that you would convict us of sin, that you would encourage us in the ways of righteousness, and most of all, that you would be glorified. So, Father, guide my thoughts and my words. Open our hearts to hear from you. For that is your desire as the word is preached. That we would not only hear, but that we would do. So change us, grow us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So it is kind of a loaded morning. Starting a new sermon series book of Philippians has a central theme of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. That shouldn't be a surprise to us. It is the book of the Bible. Uh, we are going to observe the Lord's table, which is a tangible memorial to that sacrifice of Jesus that we're going to look at in the book of Philippians. And we will witness some individuals being baptized, which is a visible testimony of their union individually with Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, his death, burial, and resurrection. A loaded morning indeed. Our sermon series is The Mind of Christ, and I, that title is not something that I came up with. In fact, if you know anything about the book of Philippians, that phrase should be actually fairly familiar to you. Uh, this morning, we're going to try to get a big picture overview of the book. So our, our big idea is really just the theme of the whole book. God wants you to think and act like Jesus. Or if you want to put it shorter, God wants you to have the mind of Christ. To think and to act like Jesus. How easy is it for us to think and act like the people around us? As I look across the room... Uh, we're all dressed roughly the same way. No one in here is wearing a football uniform with the padding and the helmets. I wonder why. 
it's very easy for us to think and act like people around us, and clothing is immaterial, really. What's important is that we understand who we're supposed to think and act like. Not the people around us, not the, the news media, to be certain, not the politicians that lead our land. We are to think and act like Jesus Christ. The keystone passage of the book of Philippians is actually in chapter two, so I invite you to join me in chapter two. Uh, and we'll read verses 5 through 11. This is the, the pinnacle of the book. Now, um, it's not necessarily in the middle of the book, because there's four chapters, and so the first part of chapter 2 definitely isn't the middle. But it is definitely the, the main point of the book. So uh, read along with me, if you would. Philippians chapter 2, we'll begin in verse number 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This passage is the theme of the book and the verses that are up on the screen right now are verses five and six. We're going to memorize together verses five through eight, but I thought we'd start off with verses five through six. So would you read them along with me, and we will work on memorizing these verses together. Philippians 2, five, and six. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That'll get us started. We're actually going to memorize the next couple, but I thought I'd spread it out over the book. Have this mind among yourselves. Be like Jesus. This passage is known as the kenosis of Christ. Uh, in verse 7, uh, in our English translation, it says that he emptied himself. That's the Greek word kenosis right there. Uh, it means to completely remove or eliminate elements of high status or rank by eliminating all privileges or prerogatives associated with such status or rank. That was a good dictionary definition, wasn't it? It means, in essence, that Jesus took away voluntarily all the advantages that he has as God set them aside so that he could be with us, so that he could live on this planet, so that he could die. God can't die. But fully God, who became fully man, he could die, and he did for us. So uh, got a, a rough outline of the book for us. It starts out with uh, the opening greeting, we'll look at just part of that this morning, goes on to a commendation to the church, uh, in encouraging them 
in, in how they are doing as a church. He gives a personal testimony of what it's like to follow Christ in prison. Prison is never a fun thing. It wasn't in Paul's day, and yet he used it as a platform for ministry. Uh, and then he uh, gives us instruction as how to live out Christ's example. And then we get to the pinnacle of the book in chapter 2, uh, where we see Christ as our perfect example, that passage that we just read. Then we go backwards in themes, returning back to instruction to live by, like Jesus and then examples of Christ followers. So Paul gives personal example, he gives Timothy as an example, and he gives Epaphroditus, a pastor that they know well, as examples of living for Christ. So uh, what I, first of all, I, I love every book of the Bible, but what I love especially about this book is that how uh, it, it not only tells us the ultimate goal, the ultimate goal is, goal is to live like Jesus, but it shows in very practical ways how people live it out. And if those people could live it out, you and I can live it out as well. And the book finishes out with a challenge to the church and then the closing greeting. So I don't expect you to get all that. Just, that's just kind of a, a big picture overview of where we're going in the book of Philippians. Our goal today is to set the scene just from the first two verses. Uh, verse one starts out, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. That word servant, we've talked about it many times before. Uh, the Greek word underneath it is doulos. It means slave. In fact, you may have a translation in your lap right now that says, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus Christ. That is an accurate translation. The reason that uh, many translations use the word servant is because slavery looked different in that day than it did in the history of the United States, and so it's helpful for us to use the word servant. But we need to understand that Paul used that word in, on purpose. He could have used another word to say servant, uh, a word that we're familiar with. Diakonos is servant. We use it as deacon. That is the, a term that we are familiar with in our church. Uh, but that is not the word he chose to use. He chose instead to use the word slave. So who are Paul and Timothy, these slaves of Jesus Christ? Paul is an apostle, which means he was set apart by God for the specific purpose of establishing the church. He is one of the 13, even though they were always called the 12. That's always fun to explain, but I won't today. Uh, specifically, Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. Peter was an apostle to the Jews. The other apostles were apostles to Jewish people, to Jewish cities and towns. But Paul specifically was called to go to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish regions, to preach Christ. So at the time of this writing, Paul is in prison because of his ministry for God. Now, the other one listed as writing here is Timothy. So Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus Christ. Timothy was the son of a Greek father and a Jewish mother. Uh, so he grew up being taught the holy scriptures by his Jewish mother. But because he had a Greek father, he was not fully orthodox in Judaism. And that comes into play in his ministry from time to time. Uh, more importantly, though, Timothy was a believer in Jesus Christ. Paul called him his own son because Paul had the opportunity to be that influential in Timothy's life so that he would believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he would get past the Jewish teaching that a Messiah was coming and see that Jesus is the Messiah who was here. 
Timothy is the recipient of the two books in the New Testament that bear his name. First and Second Timothy were not written by Timothy. They were written by Paul to Timothy. So that's who Timothy is in our passage. Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus Christ. Slavery, by definition, is the state of being completely controlled by someone else or something else. To be a slave means to have no personal autonomy. That's why Paul chose this word to describe himself. He's a slave of Jesus Christ. Paul and Timothy did not live by their own desires, but according to the command and will of God. Last week we were in Philemon, and Philemon uh, had a slave named Onesimus. So we talked about slavery a bit and how oftentimes slaves were purchased not to purchase the individual, which is what happened in the United States in our uh, black eye of a history, Uh, but instead they would be purchasing their labor for a certain number of years to pay off a debt. Now sometimes it was for life, uh, but oftentimes slavery in the first century was in order to pay off a person's debt. So the nature of Paul and Timothy calling themselves slaves of God is actually quite appropriate and culturally very sound as to how his original audience would have understood his opening sentence here. Paul and Timothy had an eternal debt, the same debt that you and I have, a debt of sin. And Jesus paid that debt of sin by his death. And so therefore, Paul and Timothy see themselves as slaves of God. Have you ever thought of yourself as a slave of God? Now, if you're in a job that you don't like, you might feel like you're enslaved to your employer, or there might be circumstances in your life that dictate how uh, everything must go, and you might feel like you don't have any control, and you might feel like a slave. Do you ever think of yourself as a slave of Jesus Christ? This word slave is the exact same word used in chapter 2, verse 7, where it says, Jesus took on the form of a servant. He took on the form of a Slave. Jesus, God the Son, who stepped out of eternity to humble himself and become a person, became a slave. To whom did he become a slave? To mankind? I think not. It does say in Scripture that Jesus came to serve mankind, and he did as much. But the the slave does not come just to serve. The slave must obey. Did Jesus come to obey humans? No. He came in obedience to God the Father. So here, in Philippians, very, very first words out of the gate, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus Christ. Then fast forward a chapter, we see that They're submitting themselves as slaves to Jesus Christ is exactly what Jesus Christ did to God the Father. Jesus is our example. He obeyed his master, God the Father. And in obeying the master, Jesus died for our sins so that we might come to him in faith, believing in Jesus to have our sins removed, to have 
righteousness credited to our account. The punishment for my sin, the punishment for your sin, as well as the righteousness that we need to have in order to see Jesus face to face, both were accomplished by Jesus. The payment for our sins and the production of righteousness. I bring that second part up an awful lot right here at this pulpit. And the reason I do that is because there are many, many, many people who are lost and on their way to hell who believe Jesus died for their sin. They do. They say as much, they confess as much that Jesus died for my sin. But then they work really hard to be righteous because they think that they can make enough righteousness happen in their life so that God will take them to heaven. And God says, no. The only righteousness that will get you into heaven is that of Jesus. And that's actually coming uh, later on in our passage as well. In chapter three, Paul talks about needing to have this righteousness that is not my own, but the righteousness that comes by faith. Folks, we must have a foreign righteousness credited to us in order to be saved. Anything less than absolute perfection that comes from Jesus Christ is not salvation. That is not a popular theme in a world that likes to praise everything that's just close enough. When it comes to salvation, there is no close enough. Either you are saved, made pure and righteous and holy by faith in Jesus Christ, or you are not. Paul and Timothy saw themselves as slaves of Jesus Christ, following the example of Jesus, who is a slave of the Father. So do we see ourselves as slaves of Jesus Christ? Do our actions conform to God's commands? Do they? Do our priorities follow God's commands? We can easily convince ourselves that, yeah, I'm okay. But we have the written word of God that tells us we're not. In fact, we're not going to be fully okay, if I can use that term, until we see Jesus face to face. So that means each and every one of us, myself included, need to be growing day in and day out in, in analyzing our thoughts and actions and priorities. Are they conforming to the will of God as revealed through the word of God? Do we find God's command somehow negotiable in our lives? Or do we obey them because we are a slave of Jesus Christ? If you want to thrive in every area of your life, surrender yourself as a slave to Jesus Christ. Now that doesn't mean that your business is all of a sudden gonna go gangbusters and you'll have plenty of money in the bank or that you'll never have pain or trouble or loss. I'm not saying that. In fact, as a slave of Jesus Christ, you will experience all those negative things. But the hardship 
and turmoil and trouble that you will experience as a child of God when you try to live life on your terms rather than his is far greater than any pain you'll experience as a slave of Christ. The child of God who surrenders as a slave to God will, yes, experience hard times, but through them will find peace and contentment and satisfaction and joy. Isn't that what we want? Peace, contentment, satisfaction, and joy. I'm telling you where it is. It's in following Jesus Christ. So our letter opens up with the the from, from the slaves, Paul and Timothy, continues with the to, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. We have three groups of people listed here, the saints, the overseers, the deacons. The saints are all believers, so therefore includes the overseers and deacons. Saints are all believers who are sanctified, who are set apart from sin to righteousness, set apart by God, by the blood of Jesus Christ. Not by works or by heritage, but by Christ alone that they received by faith. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, you are a saint. Faith alone, not baptism not participating in the Lord's Supper, faith. So Paul is writing to believers. He says the saints and the overseers, that's the Greek word episkopos, uh, which uh, I I bring that up not because you need to know that word, but it kind of sounds like episcopal or episcopalian. Uh, It means bishop or, or leader in that respect. Uh, Scripture uses terms bishop and elder and shepherd not as three separate offices of the church, but all as ways to describe the the office of a pastor. So he's writing to pastors. Pastors are tasked with leading by praying and studying and proclaiming the word, by preparing other believers to do the work of the ministry. To all the saints in Philippi and the pastors, and the deacons. Deacons serve God by serving the people in whatever ways will help the pastors keep focus on their priorities. Now that may sound like a bit of a reductionist view of the role of deacons, but that is straight out of scripture. I love it when things are straight out of scripture. It helps. Acts chapter six, verses two through four. What had happened in the early church is there is Uh, there was a physical need among some of the elderly folks in the church and and some some of those needs were not being met. So Acts chapter six, verse two, and the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So Paul is writing this letter as a slave of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Philippi, including the pastors and the deacons. He's not so much making a point about the various roles of service that are within the church so much as he is simply including everyone in his greeting. 
from the slaves to the saints. The setting is Philippi. If you like alliteration, today is your day. Earlier in the week, I had the city here, and I thought that was terrible. Setting, slaves, saints, and then city? No, no. City starts with a C. We can't do that. The setting of Philippi. Philippi was a very important city. It was on the north shore of the Mediterranean Sea. It was endowed with many abundant natural resources. They had lots of fresh water. They had lots of timbers, various metals, including gold. Made it a very important city. Not to mention the Mediterranean Sea and the abundance afforded by the seafood and the transportation that the Mediterranean Sea offered them. Philippi was a happening place. And like all happening places in our culture today, Philippi was a place known for their sin. I don't know if they had uh, a motto, what happens in Philippi stays in Philippi, but it would fit. Around three and a half centuries before Christ, Philippi became the capital of the Greek Empire until conquered by Rome in 168 B.C., So Philippi enjoyed special privilege in the Roman Empire. They were were a, a specific colony of Rome. So the citizens of Philippi had the exact same rights and privileges as a citizen of Italy would have in the Roman government. So all that to say, Philippi was a very important city in the Roman Empire. Philippi was also known as a very religious place. It was situated on a high plain near the Mediterranean Sea, and as people would come into town, uh, they would have to go up uh, quite an elevation, and on the way there was this 750-foot-tall cliff. It's pretty tall. And on this cliff, they had made many engravings and carvings depicting various gods and cults that they worshipped in the town of Philippi. They were a very religious group of people, but there were very few worshipers of the one true God. We know this because when Paul and, Paul and Timothy and the rest of his gang came into Philippi uh, to start this church, there was no synagogue to go to. Uh, a synagogue would be formed anytime there were at least 10 Jewish men. There were not even 10 Jewish men in this large, important city. And so there was no synagogue for him to go to. In fact, join me in Acts chapter 16, and we will read part of Paul's initial connection to Philippi. Uh, Acts chapter 16, uh, I won't make a whole lot of comments through it, but it'll just give us a little grounding as to, to where this church came from and why Paul is so connected to it. Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse number 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go in Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go unto Macedonia. Let me pause right there. Verse 10 says, after Paul saw the vision, we sought to go to Macedonia. Prior to that, the pronoun was always they. So who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. 
Luke wrote the book of Acts. So Luke is joining Paul in his group right here in the middle of verse 10. And when Paul had seen the vision, we sought to go into Macedonia. So Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia. See the importance of Philippi and a Roman colony. We remained there, we remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come there. One who had heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us, and in short order, the church in Philippi was established. So in writing the book of Philippians, Paul is reconnecting with a church he planted, a church that he knew. He knew their origins. He knew the, the people that, uh, that first gathered to form this church. And because he knows them, he knows their strengths, but he also knows their weaknesses. And so in the book of Philippians, we'll see him commend them for their strengths and encourage them in their weaknesses. He knows that in order to advance in their Christian growth, they need to know and emulate the humility of Jesus. It could be said of us as well. <clears throat> if we are going to grow in our Christian walk, we need to know the humility of Jesus, and then we need to live it as well. Philippians is written from the slaves to the saints at Philippi. And in verse two, we have our salutation. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to Paul was kind of like saying hello. It's a very common greeting for him. And though it may seem like sort of automatic words, Paul would never mean them as such. He genuinely wants them to know to the fullest Christian meaning, the grace and peace of God. To rest fully in the finished work of Jesus Christ. To experience his grace. To experience fully the simple satisfaction found in living a godly life rather than following the ways of the world. That satisfaction we know as peace grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is our takeaway today? Again, my desire today was simply to get the ball rolling on the book of Philippians, that God wants you to think and act like Jesus, to have the mind of Christ by thinking and acting and ordering every aspect of our lives to be like Jesus. Easy words to say. Very tall order to live up to. And that's fine. It's supposed to be a tall order. 
It's supposed to be seen as, I can't do that. That's right. I can't. And you can't. But as we seek to know our Savior more, he will change us and we will become more like him. I'll close with one more key verse from Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Do you feel that you haven't arrived? That's okay. I'm with you. Paul says in chapter three that he's with you as well. He doesn't claim to have found perfection in this life, but he pursues it. He pursues Jesus Christ. Will you pursue Jesus Christ with every aspect of your life? Let's pray. Father, help us to see clearly in our own lives how we uh, are living for you and how we are not living for you. Father, use your spirit to convict us in ways that we still need to grow and change and, and be more like our humble and sacrificial Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we are really, really good at convincing ourselves that that little bit of sin that's still in our life is just okay. It's not hurting anybody else. But your word tells us that Jesus died for every sin, whether it be one so great as we would think of as murder or one so tiny as having a bad attitude. Father, they're both condemning sins. And if we were more like Jesus, we would commit even the tiniest of sins less often. So Father, grow us. Help us to see areas where we have not given you full control and help us to follow your word in in living life the way that you have designed it. Father, I thank you for this time that we've spent in your word. Use it to make us like Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Please join in standing as you're able as we sing the power of the cross as we look toward communion. to see the dawn.